At the outset, nothing in this podcast should be interpreted as legal advice. Further, the views or opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of the university. Please email campbelllawreporter at email.campbell.edu for any media inquiries and third-party distributions. Welcome to the Campbell Law Reporter Podcast. This legal podcast strives to expand Campbell University's mission to lead with purpose by reporting with purpose. We hope to breathe new life into the dusty reporters on the shelves by reporting the content through captivating discussions. Our mission is to provide current and interesting reporting on legal topics affecting today's professionals. Listeners can expect to hear from various hosts throughout the year. Welcome to this episode of Campbell Law Reporter. My name is Hunter Cole, your host for today, and I'm joined by Campbell Law's Professor Zachary Belitho. Today, Professor Belitho and I discuss his work with the Department of Justice this summer in East Timor, why the United States has the responsibility to assist underdeveloped countries establish their legal system, and lessons or principles that attorneys can apply to their everyday practice to more effectively serve their clients and communities. It will be helpful, before we jump into today's discussion, to provide a brief history of the country of East Timor. East Timor, commonly referred to as Timor-Leste, is a Southeast Asian country occupying half of the island of Timor. In 1975, the modern tragedy began when Portugal withdrew from East Timor and Indonesia invaded. Over the next 20 years of Indonesian occupation, over 200,000 Timorese, a quarter of the country's population, were killed as a result of fighting, starvation, and disease. In 1999, East Timorese voted for their own independence. However, Indonesian-backed militias, with the aid of Indonesian security forces, stepped up their attacks and continued to terrorize the country, effectively nullifying the citizen-led vote for independence. East Timor would eventually receive its long-sought-after independence in 2002. Since that time, the rebuilding process has been long and difficult, although the political climate has been relatively stable. Battles between local groups, or gangs, ensued for power, land, and resources. Major modern issues riddling the country include unpredictable land and home ownership, a lack of basic resources, extreme poverty, an absence of stability and recourse through the legal system, and human rights issues, including government corruption and violence against women. The United States has accompanied the United Nations for several decades in aiding the East Timorese. Professor Belitho's trip, where he accompanied the Department of Justice and Federal Bureau of Investigations, provides a recent example of the U.S.'s efforts. Welcome, everyone, to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. My name is Hunter Cole, and I will be your host for today. And for our guest, we have Professor Zachary Belitho from Campbell Law School, who currently teaches this year. Well, actually, I'll let him tell you what he teaches this year. Well, thanks for having me, Hunter. I teach criminal law and federal criminal law this semester. And then next semester, I'll teach criminal procedure and probably trial ad. And... Before you came to work here, I understand you worked for the DOJ a little bit too, right? Yeah, so I've done two stints at the U.S. Department of Justice. I did one stint as an assistant U.S. attorney where I prosecuted a wide variety of federal criminal offenses, and then I did another stint as an associate deputy attorney general in D.C. and the chief of staff to then-deputy attorney general Rod Rosenstein. Well, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. And so for today, we just want to talk about a little bit about your time in East Timor 
and I gave the viewers a little bit of an introduction before this podcast so they understand a little bit of what you did. Yes. But I understand you spent a summer with the members of DOJ and FBI in East Timor, Timor Leste, kind of that's the new term people began to call it. And so what was your unit's overall task when you went to East Timor? So I spent, I guess, about, it ended up being a little over a week when you factor in the travel and acclimation times in East Timor through the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Prosecutorial Development and Training Program, which is a program that DOJ has throughout the world where it sends DOJ lawyers and guests of the Department of Justice to developing countries to teach and help them in the development of the rule of law and to assist them as they're setting up their judicial system. And so I was there through that program to work with the Timorese prosecutors and law enforcement officers in helping them develop criminal investigations and prosecute cases. Okay, very cool. So in that overall goal of, you know, helping them learn how to prosecute cases and things like that, I guess there was multiple specific units small problems within that bigger problem. So what was the the minor problem or the subset of problem that your unit was focused on? So I was there teaching a seminar that was designed at task forces, developing effective law enforcement task forces and building proactive criminal investigations and also effective criminal prosecutions. So I was there along with an FBI agent, Special Agent Brian O'Hare from the FBI, and then Our host was Dave Lewin, who is a federal prosecutor from the U.S. Department of Justice, who currently, he and his family moved to East Timor, and he lives there and works at the embassy as DOJ's rule of law ambassador, basically. Uh And those were the other teachers in the program. So our goal in this training program, which is one of many that DOJ puts on in East Timor, was again aimed at task forces and building proactive criminal investigations. That was your unit's overall task. So what was your role? What what did you do in that overall task of your unit? So we had a three and a half day seminar where we brought in, I think it was approximately 70 or 80 prosecutors and law enforcement officers from various Timorese agencies. And we taught and worked with them through different segments of this training seminar. So there were components where we lectured. So I did lectures on building task forces, use of cooperating witnesses, writing reports, writing affidavits, and preparing for trial and developing trial themes and trial theories were some of the segments that I taught. And then we would do practical exercises with the Timorese where we would give them assignments, they would work together in groups, and then we would critique them or question them to help them get some exercise with the stuff that we were teaching. Very cool. So, you know, and it sounds like a lot of those things you did were critical to the function of of their legal system. Obviously, that's kind of a foundational thing that you have to have in order, you know, to have a sound legal system. And so what were some of the biggest issues that you noticed when you were teaching those seminars and as you got to spend more time with the Timorese and and some of their executives, what were some of the big problems you noticed? Well, the Timorese people are very eager to learn and have a desire to develop and to improve their legal system in their country overall. But as you may know, Hunter, the country is only 17 years old. It's only been a democracy for 17 years. And prior to that, it had been a Portuguese colony until 1975. Then there was an invasion by the Indonesians, and then they were under Indonesian rule until the early 2000s when they asserted their independence. And then the UN came in and did a transitional government. 
So one of the biggest challenges that they have is simply that they're only 17 years old and they're trying to figure out exactly what their legal system is going to look like. There's also extreme poverty. So part of that is how do we develop these legal systems and a court system in a judicial system with very limited first human resources. They don't have a lot of educated lawyers on the island. And then how do you do it with limited capital, limited financial ability to pay prosecutors and judges and investigators to train them? And that's why I think it's so vital the role that DOJ and the embassy there in Timor play in helping to prop up and provide these training opportunities for the Timorese. Well, I know if we think about the U.S. system, we look at often our our prosecutors, our judges, our investigators as leaders of our society. They're the ones in charge of, quote, get the bad guys. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're in charge of keeping the streets safe and things like that. So if they're not adequately being able to do that in another country and already experiencing poverty, I can imagine the issues it would cause. Next question I wanted to ask was, it's kind of a two-part question. So it's how did the leadership or lack of leadership in Timor and of the Timorese contribute to some of the issues you noticed? And then also, do you think that better leadership could have actually helped eradicate or lessen the things that were caused by poverty? I think that right now they have, from my observations, strong leadership. I don't know that that's always been the case. Again, they're still developing and figuring things out and how they want their system to operate. And so they've had bumps in the road. I was impressed that at our actual training seminar, the first day of the training, the essentially the attorney general of Timor and some of their other very high-ranking government officials attended the training to kick off the training along with the U.S. ambassador to Timor. And they delivered remarks about the importance of these types of training exercises and thanking the U.S. government and DOJ for providing the training. And I think that leadership presence from those high-ranking officials at the seminar conveyed to the attendees the importance of it. And I think it demonstrated that the leadership in the country is committed to trying to find ways to continue to improve and to deal with the, the challenges that they have. I can see that, you know, in some of the things that we've discussed, the country at one point put a ban on all their foreign judges, but now they're willing to let other countries even come in and give them help. So I guess in a way, would you say that's kind of a sign of their leadership growing up and being willing to accept help? Well, I think that one thing that you have to recognize is their history is such that foreigners have not always been the greatest help to the Timorese people. You know, After the Indonesian invasion, there were thousands, tens of thousands, and some say hundreds of thousands of Timorese who were killed during that time period. And so I think they're they're skeptical in some ways of outsiders, but I think they recognize that they do need that training, the skills from people who are outside of Timor, and then also there can be investment of capital into the programs to provide the trainings and things that they may not be able to provide themselves. My sense was the Timorese government and the Timorese people were extremely happy to have the U.S. presence there and greatly appreciated all of the effort that the U.S. government was putting in. Not only this program, mind you, this is one of many programs that the U.S. embassy and other U.S. organizations are Mm -hmm. sponsoring there on the island. I kind of want to go back to the overall, just thinking about East Timor, you know, being willing to accept this help. And so thinking about areas, not just East Timor, but other countries like it that may be just establishing or even, you know, you could think about and new cities come about and they don't have laws or people don't abide by them. Who do you think has the responsibility to lead countries, cities like that? 
to establish their legal systems. I think ultimately, if it's going to be successful, the the catalyst has to come from the people themselves, that they demonstrate a desire to have these systems to operate because you can go in as a foreign country to help and to educate, but ultimately the success is going to depend upon the leadership of the people and ultimately the people themselves and how they embrace the legal system and whether they trust it to resolve their disputes, whether they value the independent judiciary, for example, whether they're willing to abide by judicial decisions, even if they may not personally agree with them. I think a lot of those things come down to the people themselves. And I think it's a it's great for countries like the U.S. and others to go in there and to assist, and that's necessary. But I think the lesson or the message even that we were sending when we were there is we're giving you tools and skills for you to be able to do this yourselves. Yeah. And on that same line, would you say that the people themselves are the same that are responsible for you know getting the country out of poverty? And is it kind of along those same lines? I think having a developed legal system and getting their government set up and established is going to necessarily help with that. Because one of the things that we take for granted here in the United States, because our system is so well developed, is the importance of things like contract law and property law. It's very hard to develop an economy when there's no established principles of contract law and there's maybe not a court system or a process to enforce a contract Mm -hmm. or to determine who does actually own this property. Development is stymied when there's uncertainty about whether the person who's trying to sell you the property actually owns the property. And absent those kind of legal principles being set up, it becomes very difficult to have a a bustling economy. Yeah. And so thinking about how in the US we do have contract law, property law, we have all these systems established and they've been in place for quite a while. What is it about our system and the laws that we have set up that gives us the right or the credentials to be able to lead other countries? How do we know that we're doing it right and that what we're doing is going to be able to work somewhere else? I think that first we benefited from, we brought a lot of legal principles and doctrines from England, right? The common law and many of those principles that are still found in various areas of our law and that we've built upon them and improved upon them over the existence of our country. And so at this point, we are a very stable democracy with a well-established system of justice. And it's not perfect, but I think most observers would agree that it's, if not the best, then definitely one of the best in the world. And we also have principles of due process that we don't take away life, liberty, or property without due process. And there is a system in place to deal Mm -hmm. with disputes. And so I think that our legal system necessarily is not perfect. It's a human institution. Therefore, it's necessarily not going to be perfect. But we've got a lot of years of experience and a lot of history that has got us to the point where we are today. And so I think it's important and incumbent upon us to share that with other countries who are much earlier in the process of developing their system. And I think, mind you, we're not over there saying you need to do it exactly like us. That's not going to work. You have to let the people decide for themselves what's going to work there. But I think it is important to say, look, here are some principles. Here's here's due process. Here's how this works. Or here are the ways that you build a criminal case, or here's how the police should interact with the citizens. Here's how the prosecutor and the police should divide the functions of law enforcement. 
those principles, I think, are pretty equally applied, whether it's in the United States or a foreign country. So it's not so much about the, the minutiae of the law, like the little tiny things that we may like or have kind of become a part of our society or things like that. It's more of the foundation on which we started from the beginning and how that's kind of been developed and what we've Correct. not worked. It's not necessarily yeah. to say you have to have all of your criminal cases resolved by jury trials. Right. It's to say you should have a trial and the trial should be conducted in front of a neutral arbiter. Right. Whether they decide to do a judge, a panel of judges, or a jury, a jury of 12, a jury of five, whatever that the case may be, it's not about those types of details. It's just the bigger principles. Right. Thinking along those same lines, just the minutia of the law, would you say the U.S. tries to spread principles that we've come to believe in like separate but equal or sharing how they classify their society and things like that. And I guess it's difficult thinking about, you know, their property issues yeah. and things like that, but because they do all tie together. But I think definitely the emphasis on you know human rights and civil liberties and freedoms are part and parcel of, of the discussion. And like I said, the U.S. Department of Justice is just one of the many agencies that are over there. And it's similar in other countries where I know, you know Dean Leonard has been to Africa many times mm-hmm. through similar trips. And the ABA has programs that are based upon promoting the rule of law in developing countries. So these countries like Timor end up with trainings and experiences from a lot of different avenues. And I think the goal is to develop a legal system that is stable, that has due process as a fundamental component of it, that recognizes human rights. And that from the perspective of where I was working, to make sure that you have law enforcement that is effective, free of corruption to the greatest extent possible, and that criminal cases are being made based upon the evidence and the law and not corrupt motives, or that cases are not being handled in a way that doesn't represent the best interests of the community. I want to take a step back and just kind of view your lessons and from the training and everything that you learned from your your time in East Timor and seeing this country in extreme poverty and these people without a foundational legal system and not basic principles to live by that we've known since we, you know, since we were born in the U.S. So what kind of lessons would you like attorneys to know, particularly ones practicing in the U.S. and even in our local community of Raleigh? What kind of lessons would you like them to know? And also, how can they apply them to their everyday practice, you know, with their clients who may or may not be in poverty in, in different communities? I think the number one lesson that I walked away learning is just how fortunate we are. I think that it's easy for us to take so many things for granted. I've certainly been guilty of that many times in my own life. We just take for granted the way that our system operates. And I think when you go to a developing country and you see the differences between the way that that they live and the way that we live, you should feel very fortunate. But at the same time, The other thing that I was amazed about with the Timorese people is, although so many of them had so little, they were very happy. They seemed to enjoy their lives and they they had what they had and they lived with what they could live with. And many of them live off of the land or live off of the sea and are fishermen and, and that's their livelihood. And they don't have a lot, but they were very friendly and seemed thankful for what they did have. So I think I walked away kind of with that feeling of thankfulness for not only our economic prosperity, but also the fact that our system operates the way that it does and that there's so many things that we just don't realize we're fortunate to have. 
The other thing that I think is important for lawyers to recognize is that it's easy for us to get frustrated with our court system or to get frustrated with, with our laws or to say this, this system isn't working. But then you go somewhere that is really developing theirs and you realize, no, ours works pretty good. We've got it all right. Yeah. yeah. It's not perfect, yeah. but it's pretty good. Well, and, and you know, it's it's funny. I think what you said about how, you know, most of the country is in poverty and the poor there, you'll see they get joy from this, you know, the most smallest, minute things. And I think that principle somewhat transpires even the states. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you'll see the, the poorest communities are the most tight knit mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So I think that's a just an interesting thing I want to point out. So just to kind of wrap things up, you know, I mentioned beforehand we'd be able to discuss this question. So consistent with our university's mission statement, we like to ask every guest this question at the end of our show, what it means to you to lead with purpose. Yeah, I think a lot of people can define that differently. And I think that's in part why it's a good mission statement, because you can apply it in a lot of different areas. I think for me, what it means is that you use your talents and training and expertise to lead your communities and to lead others to improve their lives and to improve the the lives of others. And in doing that, we help our communities to prosper. And in the process, we help to ensure that there's peace and prosperity for others. And I think that that, for me, I think that some of that just goes with, what's the old saying that with privilege comes obligation. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of looked at it that way, which is you've been educated, you've been given these skills, now go out there and use those to help your communities. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today. And that will conclude our show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Campbell Law Reporter podcast. We look forward to you joining us every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. for a new episode, which can be accessed through your preferred podcasting listening platform.